Amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. Lovely to be with you. Uh, first of all, bring greetings from Sutton Vineyard, all the way down the road. Um, I love it that um, I love living in London. Bev and I got it took us an hour to get to Ballon the other week in the middle of the day. And I love it when we put into our sat-nav, um, you know, put in the postcode for Stephen Viv's house, 7.2 miles. You will arrive in 55.8 minutes or something ridiculous. It's uh, the joys of living in London where it takes forever to get from one part to the other. So greetings from deepest, darkest Sutton down the road. Um, and uh, as Stephen Viv said, uh, Bev and I have the privilege of being London regional leaders, so we look after... The Vineyard Churches. Steve and Viv are actually area leaders, so they help look after some churches for us. Um, we first met Steve and Viv um, just a few years ago, uh, really, and started to get to know them. And, um, and we're responsible for assessing them and releasing them here, so I'm sorry for that. Um, sometimes things slip through the net, and the process is not as robust as we would like it to be. Um, that's why we're here today. Um, <laughs> To install the new pastors. No. Um, yay. <laughs> but joking aside, um, we were very impressed with them when we met them and they were up at Southwest London and they became friends and uh, they uh, threw themselves into not just when they were at Southwest but the London area as it was before it was a region. And uh, we just knew that they were going to be great church planters and great pastors because um, we saw two things in them. Um, it's a bit like a wedding, isn't it? You're getting embarrassed now, aren't you? Yes. The first one was they just love people, don't they? And the other one was that they love God. And they were going to do stuff. And I thought, you know, we get to visit lots of churches. I especially do. And sometimes think if everything else in my life stopped and I had to find a church to go to, I could imagine following these two. Just knew it would be great. And, of course, that's what's unfolded and exploded here. And uh, so it's a, it's a privilege to come here after seeing them dreaming about planting. And then here you are in this church. Um, so Steve's asked me and Viv to speak on the inauguration of the kingdom. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I know you're in a series on the kingdom of God. But um, I'll, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to do three things with you this morning. Steve, when he came and spoke at our church a few weeks ago, we did a series on Ephesians. Did you know Steve came and spoke at our church? And he said, I'm going to focus on one word this morning. And he did. Just one word. And uh, it was a huge blessing. And Terence, where's Terence? Shout out for Terence was with us. He's with the youth. Great. And had a wonderful time kicking off that series with us. I'm going to use a lot more than one word this morning. I'm going to be like the opposite of Steve. It was lovely. He was so nervous coming to speak at our church. And also because his mum was there. So uh, he was very nervous, but my mum's not here today, so we're fine. So I'm going to do three things with you about the kingdom of God this morning as you're in this series. I'm going to do a little theological, biblical bit on what is the kingdom, this thing we talk in the vineyard about, the now and not yet. I'm then going to talk about bastard kingdoms, illegitimate kingdoms, the false kingdoms that we do battle with and may not realize that we do. And then the third thing I'm going to do with you to finish is talk about how we get to activate and inaugurate and live in God's kingdom instead of those bastard kingdoms. So, are you ready? Here we go. Oh, get my pages in the right order. Um, let me read a couple of verses to you. So it's difficult to do this without... Uh, 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus said this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, This is Jesus. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom... So this first bit, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is the rule and reign of God breaking into this world. I like Dallas Willard, I'll paraphrase one of my favorite definitions. If you ever want to read anything good, Dallas Willard is good. But the idea that the kingdom of God is where God's rule and reign are experienced and established in a reality. Um, now we might contrast that with Ephesians chapter 2 where we're told that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And instead that this world has a very different kingdom, which is where we're going to get to the bastard kingdoms later. Jesus turns up, begins his ministry, Mark 1 verse 15, and says the kingdom of God is at hand. And in the Greek language there, Jesus uses a word at hand. It's the word atmos. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get the word atmosphere. The kingdom of, Jesus said the kingdom of God is. Is he here? Can you feel it? Can you, you can breathe it in. It's not far away. It's at hand. They say Ephesians 2, Paul tells us Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Sometimes we might know well. Some of us have been in places and times and had experiences and thought that's definitely not the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is at hand. And through Jesus, God has inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth. Inaugurated, this word that um, theologians and biblical scholars use to inaugurate the kingdom. It means to officially commence it in a pretty big way. You know, inauguration. Someone is inaugurated into a position. The kingdom of God is inaugurated. It's begun, but it's not fully here. It's commenced, but it's not arrived. Inauguration is not arrival. Inauguration. The commencement of the kingdom has begun, but the consummation of the kingdom, and we haven't got time to do it, I'm just going to give a quick survey of this this morning. Um, The consummation of the kingdom is when Jesus returns. And if you've been Christians for a while, we know that Jesus dies, rises from the dead, dead. That's his ascension. And then there's this thing called the parousia in the New Testament, Greek. Um, and it means the return of Christ. In between Christ's ascension, the kingdom, he is the king. But one day he is going to return and everything will be fulfilled. Have you read to the end of your Bibles and read Revelation? That's when Jesus returns and the kingdom. There's no more death, no more tears. And what that means is it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who he is, that inaugurates the kingdom. And it means we live in this tension. And in the vineyard, we talk about it a lot, the now and not yet of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is now, but it's not all yet. There's more to come later. And it means we have this tension. An analogy you might have heard is about the difference between D-Day and VJ Day, or even VE Day in, in the Second World War. Um, D-Day is reckoned to be the day when the, really, when, if you look with historians, when did the Second World War finish? It's when the Allies invaded into the coast of France and started to push the Germans back. From that point onwards, it was uh, the capitulation and the collapse of the Germans. 
D-Day was the beginning. It was the inauguration of the end of the Second World War. But it took over six months till uh, VD Day and even longer to VJ Day. Do you know more people died between D-Day and the next six to eight months of the Second World War than in the whole period before? And it's salutary that what happened, and it is a a powerful metaphor. Satan is defeated. Jesus has died and risen from the dead. But we are now in this space of inauguration, of intense battle. That's why Jesus says things. In this life, you will have... Yeah, it doesn't say you have it easy. If you're a Christian, you're born into the battle. You're recruited to be a soldier. So many of the images of Scripture... Um, are to be soldiers of the king and his kingdom. So victory is won, but there is this rearguard battle. I'm going to mention this again later on. We're told that Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, prowls around like a cuddly dog leaving us alone. No, he prowls around like a lion looking to devour everyone. That's the reality that we are in. And Jesus says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Both are true. Now, this tension, we all love to resolve tensions. We think tensions are things that we need to fix instead of living in them. And uh, theologians call this eschatological tension. Do do you know what eschatology is? Don't worry if you don't, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) Ah, terrible joke. It's the only theological joke I know. (laughs) Some of you go, I still don't know what that means. Anyway, eschatology is about the end times. You've probably heard the word eschatology. The word eschaton is a Greek word. What's coming in the future? Eschatology is important. We all live with it. When you're a kid and you're growing up and you imagine what the future might be, that is a moment of eschatological tension between where you are and where you want to be. Any of you remember any eschatological tension? Any of you know the eschatological tension between looking across a crowded room at a school disco they were called discos in our days, and seeing the now and the not yet. <laughs> you remember that tension of what could be, but is not here yet? Anyway, tension. We try and resolve it. And uh, two of the ways that Christians in history always try to resolve, so often resolve eschatological tension, is to overrealize what's called overrealized eschatology. It's the opposite of inaugurated eschatology. Overrealized eschatology says Jesus has died, risen from the dead, and we can have it all now. You can, everyone can be healed. You can all be rich. You know, we can have everything now. It's over-realized eschatology. A different version to that, one you might have heard the word dispensationalism, is a type of under-realized eschatology. It says, yeah, we get to go to heaven when we died, but basically it's all pretty crap now and everything's in the future. Yeah? Um, it's pie in the sky when we die. It's all there in the future. Nothing now. Um, and we like to do that. Because tension is difficult, isn't it? It's not a comfortable place to live. By the way, the Christian life is not supposed to be comfortable. Did you know that? And as we go through some of this today and get into some of the the meat of this, one of the big things I'm going to be sharing with you is that often what we think is something wrong is not. We are in exactly the place Jesus wants us to be. But every other kingdom of this world Every other story of what life should be wants to resolve tensions. To live a quiet life and be happy and be left alone and welcome. None of those are kingdom visions or aspirations at all. And much of what we think is wrong with our lives is not. We're in the center of God's will and we don't realize it. 
This is what Jesus does. He turns up the Jewish people, 400 years, captured by the Romans and thinking everything's all over. It's, we haven't heard, haven't even had a word from God for 400 years. Where is God? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand right now. This moment that seems like the worst moment in the Jewish people's history for God's people. The kingdom is at hand. Now, let's mention the kingdom and the church. The kingdom of God and the church are not the same thing. Um, again, this could be a whole talk. Which, like, all of these could break down into separate things. Um, and you know, theologians and biblical scholars will you know, say, slice and dice this. They're not the same thing. And it's much cooler to talk about the kingdom than the church, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that despises institutions. The church is a wicked, evil institution. We know that because Steve and Viv are just doing this for themselves, aren't they? They, can't, you know, they were like, can't think of anything else to do. Let's start something for us. The church. It's much cooler to say, oh, I'm doing something for the kingdom than say I'm doing something for church. Um, and that's rubbish. <laughs> the church is a kingdom people. You see, there is a scripture also. So the church and the kingdom are not the same things. The church is a sign. I love Leslie Newbigin said, the church is a sign and a foretaste. The church points towards something it's not. The church is supposed to say, by the way, look around this room. Sorry, pull out a mirror and look at yourself. One of the reasons the church is the mess that it is most of the time is because it's full of people like you <laughs> and me. It's amazing. I, the people that amaze me as a pastor that tell me how awful our church is and other churches, I think, have you ever looked in the mirror? <laughs> We're not supposed to have it all together. We're supposed to have an experience and point towards something else. It's begun. But it's not here yet. It's a foretaste. We point towards something. But we get to taste it now. Taste and see. It begins. And we are a kingdom people. The church are a kingdom people. So this nonsense, So yes, the church is not the kingdom. But the idea that you can live in the kingdom and not in the church is ridiculous. There's a theological word for it. Crap. C-R-A-P. <laughs> And we'll see it's one of the lies of the false kingdoms that you can be a little private Christian all on your own in the kingdom of God. Even Jesus doesn't say this. Some of the things just associations about Jesus, when he speaks to Peter, and he says, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my kingdom. Isn't that what Jesus says to Peter? No. What does Jesus say to Peter? Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. See, Jesus, one minute, kingdom. Church. Jesus knew that the church were the people of the kingdom. Another thing, Philippians 3, chapter, sorry, verse 20, Paul tells us our citizenship is in heaven. Paul says we are not supposed to be at home here. Have you ever felt uncomfortable in this world? Has Brexit made any of you feel dislocated and uncomfortable? Seriously, has it made you feel? I'm not sure I like this country anymore. I'm not sure I'm comfortable here. Good! We're not supposed to be. You know, the moment we collapse our identity into feeling completely at home with a national identity, we have given ourselves over to something that is not the kingdom. We are supposed to be God's people and just feel, just doesn't quite fit. I'm not where I should be. You ever had that feeling? I'm not, yeah, that's normal. We're resident aliens. 
Our citizenship is somewhere else. The kingdom of God, we step into it. When we become Christians, or maybe we were brought up Christians and don't know a time when we didn't know Jesus. I love Oliver Donovan, a theologian. He talks about being displaced into the eschaton. It sounds like something from Star Trek, doesn't it? You know, that in our identity, once we step into the kingdom, we're translated into a different reality. Jesus is Lord of time and space. You know, like warp drive. We're, we're, we've got on to the kingdom, and it's moving, and we're going to be on it forever. And everything else in life is what's not real. The inauguration. We are looking to the eternal kingdom in the future. That's why so many times in Scripture, people in the New Testament were, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And waiting for Jesus to come back and look into the future. And one of the problems we've got in the Western world because of the false kingdoms that we live in is we hardly ever look forward to the future at all because we're so worried about it. So worried about today. Compare everything that we have today with no measure of what is to come. And another thing that we often do with the now and not yet of the kingdom is it often gets reduced very tritely to just issues of healing. You might hear this. Well, this is why sometimes people get healed and they don't. It's now not yet. Have you heard that? And, but what then happens, it's like Russian roulette or poker. Or if I just pray for enough people, then eventually somebody will get healed. It's one of the most crude ways to reduce the now and not yet of the kingdom. That is not what the kingdom is. Now, if you pray for a lot of people, you'll see a lot more people get healed. Because we are in a battle. But they're not quite the same thing that I just said. And the kingdom of God is so much more than Russian roulette of praying for the sick and does someone get healed or not. It's not a numbers game. Scripture tells us that God, how much does God love us? That he sent his son for us. Jesus tells us that not one hair on your bald head. <laughs> doesn't take the Lord long to count my hair. So Jesus. So that was the big bit, right? Second bit. Bastard kingdoms. False kingdoms, here are some of the big ones that we bump into. These are things that are real because people believe them and because people do them, and they're the background to everyday life around us. At one time, it was the Roman Empire. We don't have that false kingdom now, but we have false kingdoms still. Atheism. There is no God. Let's just deny the existence of God completely. Or the close one that's allied with that, deism. Deism is so sneaky. There is a God but he's sort of absent most of the time. And he's only there when I need to feel good or I need something. Does that sound a bit more familiar? He's not there really involved day to day. Or secular materialism and humanism, which says there's really only the material of life. Again, there is no God, and if there is one, we can't do anything about it. And all that matters is what you can experience in this life. You know those books that used to say a thousand things to do before you die? Now it's up to like 10,000 things to do before you die. This life is it. Now, have any of you ever felt that pressure? Anyone felt FOMO? You wonder where FOMO comes from. I might miss out. Christians are the one group of people who should never suffer FOMO. Should be freed from it. Freed from it. It's a disease of a false bastard culture. You know what I mean by bastard? Illegitimate. False birthed not by God, but by the enemy himself. And then consumerism closely related to it. Oh, I can pick a mix and choose and have what I want when I want and how I want and, you know, this sort of pick a mix to spirituality. Oh, I'm religious, but I'm not into the church. You ever heard that one? 
what people say is, oh, I'm into Jesus, but not the church. No, they're not into Jesus at all. They're into the Jesus that gets them a parking space. They're into the Jesus that gets them a job when they need one. They're into the Jesus that makes them feel better when they're having a hard time. And Jesus is graceful, and he does help us with a lot of those things. But Jesus is on a mission. When Jesus turned up and said, the kingdom of God is at hand, he didn't say the parking space you've always looked for in Balaam (laughs) is at hand. Mind you, we did get one right outside. (laughs) But we weren't praying for one. I think what we reduced the kingdom to, shallow, superficial, rubbish. The kingdom, and these false bastard kingdoms, which they are, and are underwritten by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He comes along and he insinuates those into our hearts and our minds and he whispers to us. We're told in Ephesians 2, Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Ephesians chapter 6, we're told that our real battle, what's our real battle? Not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of this world. Jesus in John 8 verse 44 talks about Satan and said he is a liar and has always been a liar and he is the father of lies. You remember that? Satan comes to us and lies. It's the biggest thing that he does. Did God really say? Lies to us about who we are and where we are and what's going on in our lives. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Satan prowls around like a lion looking to devour us. And here's what happens with these false kingdoms and these stories. He comes along to us and he says things like this. Especially when it comes to your church life. Because remember, what is the church? It's the people of the kingdom. And he says to you, Oh, don't worry about it. Someone else will do it. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. You can do that tomorrow. Don't worry about it. As long as you, you know, it'll be fine. You see, the biggest lie he tells us is don't worry about the kingdom of God's people and the church. Because you can do that later. Pick that up later. It doesn't really matter. Man. It's the biggest lie at this time in history is spoken over us. No one will die. No one will die if you don't turn up and do your coffee rotor on Sunday. Nobody. Yeah, maybe nobody will physically die. But something inside us dies when we start to give ourselves to other things on a regular basis. It's how he chips away at us. And by the way, the fastest growing false bastard kingdom in London is this. The church of private Christians. The ones who only turn up at church when they haven't got something else on. The ones who turn up when they run out of resources. And I know I'm being really hard when I talk here, but I'm 49 and life is running out. I'm getting older. And I I feel this passionately. Sometimes people turn up at the back of our church and I think, what's happened? I haven't seen them for six months and I know the reason they're there, they're probably, I'm thinking, have you lost your job? Or are you sick? Or is your relationship broken up? And I'm glad that they turn up and I'm glad that they know we're there. But once they get what they need, then they're gone. Back to their other kingdoms. The oldest story in the beginning of, of, of the opposite of the kingdom is Adam and Eve in Genesis. And what's the first thing Adam and Eve do when, they, when the Satan comes to them and says, you can eat this and you won't die, and then everything kicks off, doesn't it? And what do they do? Do they go rushing to God to be reconciled to him? What do Adam and Eve do? They hide away. And the moment you and I withdraw and hide when we're hurt, when we're in pain, when we're busy, when we're tired, when we're sick, when we're all these things, what we're saying is, Satan says, it doesn't matter. Take care of yourself. Withdraw. It'll be fine. 
and we wither and we die. And Jesus speaks the opposite. In Mark 1, he speaks the opposite of Adam and Eve and the lie that Satan speaks. And he says, the kingdom of God is here. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you sick? Are you poor? Are you in bondage? Are you full of guilt, regret, shame? Do you fear that you've missed out on who you are and everything you would be? What does Jesus say? There's good news! Go and find a nice cafe and come back in a few weeks' time. Is that what Jesus says? (laughs) Have another holiday. Seriously. He says, come follow me. But Jesus, I'm tired. Come follow me. Jesus, I'm sick. Come follow me. Jesus, um, I've got nothing. Come follow me. Jesus, I can't do this. Come follow me. Have you noticed? Have you ever read your Bible? Every single person that comes to Jesus with anything they've got going on in their lives, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's like this. And by the way, come follow me. When does he say, come follow me? Now. Now is the time. And we bump into our own kingdoms when life doesn't work out how we want it to. And our expectations aren't met. These are the diagnostic moments. We know how to measure what's important in life. I often think my daughter, when I had my first kid, and we had absolutely no money and student debts and everything else, and she needed a pram. And I'd had a baby without any idea what a pram even cost. And I remember going to mother care and thinking, how much? And then I'm like, I put it on a credit card. And I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. But I knew one thing. I was a dad and she was my daughter. And I was going to provide that pram for her. Because you see, I knew that reality of being a dad meant I would order my life around her and looking after her. And the kingdom of God is the same. It's not an extra at the weekends when we've got time to do it. It's a way of life that we give ourselves to endlessly, perpetually, because it's about Jesus. Loss, grief, pain. God, why is this happening to me? Follow him. Opportunities and decisions. Should I take this job? Should I not take that job? Should I live here? Should I not live here? There is only one basis to, to decide that. Jesus, where do you want me to go? I think the meme of our culture, the false bastard kingdoms today, is this. This is the lie that the devil whispers to us. Something is wrong with your life if you don't live somewhere really nice. And if you don't, you should live a long life, retire early in an amazing house, and retire somewhere like where you've been on holiday. That's the kingdom of God. It's not. We're not called to that at all. We're called to Golgotha. We're called to pick up our cross. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. The way to follow me is you do what I did. You go to the rubbish dumps of life and the worst places of life and you declare that the kingdom of God is there and I promise you, if you die to yourself, I will rush to you and I will raise you from the dead and pour out my spirit and pour out my power. And bring Eden. Instead of running away, hiding. Instead of expecting Jesus to bring us his kingdom. I began with Matthew 13, the pearl of great price. Do you remember that? The pearl of great price. The the field and the pearl. Jesus is just trying to find all these metaphors and words and saying, have you ever, I thought it's kind of weird, isn't it, the pearl of great price? There's a man that finds a field and there's there's something, a pearl. It's like, well, just nick it. (laughs) If you found it, take it. That's what we'd do, wouldn't we? But it's like, no, because in Jewish culture, if it was in a field, as should be for us today, it belonged to who owned the field. 
And it's like, goes and takes everything that he has and gets rid of it and says, this is worth everything. That's what the kingdom is. What's the kingdom? What's the church? The people of the kingdom. Psalm 84. You know Psalm 84? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I was at a conference once doing a series of talks on some stuff like this and we got to know each other and people were being we're going we're doing that vineyard thing let's be honest and vulnerable and I said look (laughs) let's be honest better is one day in your courts we say that don't we one day with God is worth more than anything said let can we just pretend that we're not Christians and be honest right I said one day with God if you had to choose between one day with God and retiring early, living in a dream house, with a perfect relationship, with the body that you've always wanted, being able to go on holiday whenever you wanted to. How many of you really would swap that for one day with God? And we got to a place where every, almost everyone in the room admitted, I wouldn't swap that for that. Because if, you, if that metaphor that we've, I've rushed through quickly with you, it does reveal something. We have absolutely no idea what one day with God is because we're so consumed with these bastard kingdoms that have our imaginations and our desires. One day, I try to imagine it, I try to meditate on that passage regularly in my prayer life and think one day to be completely and utterly at peace, one day to be completely and utterly protected, one day to know that you are fully provided for forever, one day to know completely who you are one day to see God completely and utterly for who he is as your father one day to be so close to God that Jesus is right I mean you start to unpack it does that start to sound good and Jesus says that is not when we die where is it now is it at hand do you remember when Psalm 84 was written it's written in the Old Testament a long time ago But in the New Testament, Jesus says, all that is available to us now if we live as kingdom people. So do we believe that God has the best for where we live, our jobs, our homes, and our relationships? And I sometimes wonder that when we come to pray, often when we pray with one another, we're lamenting things that we never should have set our hearts on in the first place. Now, by the way, none of this, this doesn't mean that Jesus is not interested in the material of our lives. That's the lie the enemy tells us. If you don't sort your job out, God won't. If you don't sort your relationship out, Jesus won't. And it all happens when we're dead. It's like Jesus says, no, if you want the best job, home, relationship, all the things you're worried about, pick up your cross and follow me. And you will have. Didn't Jesus say? And all of these things. All of these things. Matthew 6. Jesus says, pick up your cross, follow me, and all of these things. All of the things that you're worried about will come along with me. Um, Last one, the third to finish, um, Golgotha and Eden. Martin Luther in the Reformation said, one of the problems with Christians, I don't think anything's changed, is that we like to bypass Good Friday and go to Easter Sunday. And Jesus tells us the way to Easter Sunday is through Good Friday and the cross. We just had Easter, didn't we? Nothing's changed since the Reformation. I'd I'd like to have all the resurrection and the goodies, but the idea of going to Good Friday, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. And we are called to be inaugurators of the kingdom. We are co-creators. We're made in the image of Christ. Jesus says, it's, you know, I really, it bugs me. I know why people say it, but when people say Jesus has done it all for you, I know what they mean, but it's not true. 
Jesus has made a way for you so that you can do things with him. So that you can have a life, that this life, everything that we do has meaning, adventure and purpose. And then Jesus says, pick up your cross, there is stuff to do, come and follow me. Come this way. The kingdom is mostly about poverty. Most issues you and I and other people struggle with are about poverty. Poverty. Anyone time poor here? Anyone financially feel poor? Anyone in their relationships feel poor? Anyone in their health feel poor? The kingdom declares in the face of poverty that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus means there is a new kingdom and a new economic reality available now. And we get to declare and practice that. So let me finish. Let's, um, I want to wrap this up by saying let's get practical. Jeremiah 29. You know Jeremiah 29? We love that. God has a plan to bless us and prosper us and not harm us. Yeah? Most of us like to claim that, but a, claim in, a promise in Scripture is always predicated on something that comes before it. And there is a big bit before that. God's people in captivity in Babylon. Have you ever felt like London's Babylon? With the captivity to mortgages that no one can afford and schedules that no one can live. I mean, we might joke about first world problems, but the pressure of living in this capital city with the spirit of the kingdom of the air about what it is to be successful, to look good and have enough, the pressures of it upon us. And Jeremiah 29 the bit of the, is a bit like that. God's people taken into captivity and God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your jobs, homes and relationships and I want you to give them away for the welfare of the people in this city. And then that's when you can imagine God's people going, really? Really? Man, that's going to be hard. And then, it's like, and then there's the next bit that God says, and if you pray, you will find me. Do you know why it says prayer? Because God says, if you live like that, if you pick up your cross, if you take the most important things in life and you give them for me and the kingdom, you're going to have to pray. And you're going to need to seek me. But I promise you that when you seek me, you will find me. And then guess what I'm going to do? I am going to bless you and prosper you in ways you never could have imagined. That's the kingdom. So, I've got Philippians 3 verse 10. Paul says, I want to know the power of Christ. And and experience his resurrection. Luke 13, Jesus says that, um, I will mention this, Luke 13. Jesus says, um, the way is narrow. The door is narrow. We often think that's just about salvation. Jesus is saying the kingdom is narrow. There is a doorway, and the doorway into the kingdom is through death to self and picking up our cross. Matthew 16, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Galatians 2, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, Paul says. Death is the doorway to the kingdom. I want to do this with you. Really practical to finish. Time and place, money, serving. Time. Anybody short on time? Are you all here because you're like, I really couldn't think of anything else to do today? <laughs> so a loose end, thought, what the heck? I'll come along to Ballon Vineyard. Doesn't happen, does it? You see, if any of this is ringing true with you, it means anything, what does it mean for any of us who are time poor? If you are currently utterly overwhelmed by the lack of time in your life, then invest in the church and God's people when you've got some time left. Is that what I'm saying this morning? No. You get out your diary and you get a pen. Or if it's digital, you go on it and you put in there the practices of the kingdom and and of God's people and you write them into your diary and they stay there and you do them until you are dead. 
because you're going to carry on doing them after you're dead. You know, we've got people in our church, our small group leaders say, I've got five people, these five people in our small group. What they mean is they drove past our small group once. That means they belong to our small group. I mean, we know what we're like. A better offer comes up, an invitation to do something. And we wonder why everybody else around us wonders if there is a different way to live. The most radical different way to live is when someone says to you, hey, do you want to come out to this great party on Thursday night? No, I've got small group. Who does that? That's weird. Man, there's your evangelistic opportunity right there. There is some. Can I tell you about my small group? It is the thing that anchors me in life. Do you have, a, do you have any struggles with life? Yeah, I do have struggles. Do you know what? If I didn't get together with a few people and read God's word in the middle of my week, every week, I would have no idea who I am and what life was about. Now, doesn't that sound a lot better than, oh, I've got a small group this week? <laughs> Plug it in your calendar. You've got Google Calendar. The kingdom should be a plug-in. Remember, the kingdom, God's people, is a, it's in the future, but it's a taste of it now. Um, I've got a friend who got um, appointed to a job, and he was supposed to be doing something for me. He was speaking out for me. And then he said, I'm really sorry, I can't make it. I've got an invitation from the queen. He wasn't being pretentious. He said, I've had an invitation from the queen. Now, some of you will know, when the queen invites you, you don't say no. By royal invitation, is something you have to do. We are under the invitation of the Lord of Lords. And the enemy would say, yeah, next week. Don't worry about it. Put the kingdom in your diary. Money. Giving is not about funding church programs. If it is, don't bother. Matthew 6, verse 21. Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. You see, we know. I mean, you probably hear these guys say, if I want to know what's important in your life, show me your bank balance. I'll see what you love, what you value. The, the number of times when I talk to my friends who are having struggles in life with their house move or their mortgage or their cost of their kids or anything else, always manage to find money to invest in their kids, always manage to find money for the things that make life worth living. I'm constantly amazed that at London, where we are the most time poor and money poor, statistically, we go away on holiday the most. And again, you're like, oh, gosh, he's treading over all the, like, but let's be, can we be real with one another? How much money do we spend on escaping in London? How much money do people in London spend escaping the pressures here with money they don't have to come back to have to wear more, to keep paying for it? One thing Christians could do is just take a few less holidays. Do a bit more mission. I mean, why, would that, why is that so scandalously shocking? Some of it's like I just farted or something in the room. <laughs> you know, it's like, is this some old school... I don't know what it is. It's like, Really? If you haven't got enough money to spend on holidays, is there really nothing else you could do? You can go and pray for the sick. You can come to the job club here. You can feed the poor. You can go and try and raise the dead. You can, there's a, there are things for the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not on an airplane in another country on a sunny beach. The kingdom of God is here with whatever you're struggling with right now. And I'm speaking to this because this is the lie that the enemy places over us to cloud our minds. Oh, I need to get you don't need to go away. Pick up your cross. So on money. Anyone got money worries? Fears? Surrender them. Do you know how you surrender them? Like you do with everything else in life that's important. You give to it. Jesus, I can't afford this. I'm going to do it. I'm in. I can't afford this. But you are. And out of all of this, why do we do any of this? Remember, pull this all together. It's because of Jesus. 
If you're not captivated by him and don't love him, spend some time finding out who he is. But if we really, really love him, we'll give him everything. And when we don't have anything, we'll give to him. Last one, serving. These guys probably ask you to help out once a month on a rotor, don't they? You guys help out once because, you know, we're family, get together and make stuff happen. And it's great. I've never understood that once a month on a rotor thing. I became a Christian when I was 17. And from the moment I stepped into the eschaton of this alternative church family, I just always helped. I can't imagine turning up at a church and not doing something to help. The idea that I need some nice little space to sit on my own so I can... I mean, I'm not talking about I need to hear from God and get prayed for, but seriously, putting out chairs and helping people, saying hello to people that haven't been here before. Is that really? Do you need a rotor to do that? Well, we do need rotors, don't we? Because we're so busy. But we can exceed rotors. The kingdom of God is like a once a month rotor. <laughs> Shoot me now. It's like a minimum. Do you know what we do here Sunday by Sundays? I was with the old team at the start and praying and celebrating. We throw parties every weekend. Because if you want to throw a party in any other kingdom in the world, you can do that week in, week out, and everyone will go, yay, good for you. But the idea that as a church you want to throw a party and meet with God and worship him and be captivated by him and overwhelmed by him and seek him and weep before him and serve him and love him and dream with him, that's what we do here in this space. The kingdom. Serving is not optional. Caring for the poor is not optional. Again, these are the lies the enemy will tell you. Oh, it's all right. Someone else can do it. Kingdom power. That's where we finish off with healing. I'm trying to be really practical. If you say, so what does that look like? So I talked about time, place, money, serving. But these moments of the kingdom, they declare, and that's where we relive the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit loves to connect to and flows through. You see, if we start to live that way, we will have more power and more providence and more healing and more multiplication and more gifts of the Spirit and more prophecy and more healings and more signs and wonders and more miracles than we could ever imagine. Imagine if everyone that calls themselves a Christian put the kingdom of God on their schedule, opened up their bank balance, and decided to help throw kingdom parties. What would happen to this country? What would happen? A kingdom beachhead that we've never seen before. Because Mark chapter 1. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Amen.